I would tell people all the time, it's okay, you screwed up, great. What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do good about it? One question is, if I continue doing what I'm doing, will it help me get where I wanna go? Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Welcome, my friends, to another fireside chat in the forge. This week's guest is Todd Stottlemyre, two-time World Series champion with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's a multiple-time author with a new book coming out and also a successful entrepreneur. Todd came onto my radar because we, we have a little bit of a connection, certainly a connection that probably Todd is not aware of, but I went to his father. His father's name is Mel Stottlemyre, um, very famous uh, not only player but coach. Uh, I went to his baseball camp at Central Washington University. I think I was at uh, the tender age of about 16 years old. And I remember not only uh, – I remember your dad, uh, uh, Todd. And I remember, you know, obviously I didn't get much time to talk to him, but he seemed like a real gentle, kind man. I don't know if that – I would assume that's probably the way he was, but but that was kind of the aura that I got from him. And um, I also think it was either you, Todd, or – I think you have a brother that maybe played as well, but I remember right. watching somebody that was was throwing off the mound, and and we yeah. all kind of gathered around and watched you throw, yeah. and uh, we were kind of all in awe of like, wow, look at this guy. You know, you were only <laughs> I think you were uh, about two or three years older than me, still are. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But that that was a fun experience, and so that is uh, that's kind of how Todd is on my radar, and uh, that's why I reached out to you, Todd. Um, to, to kind of share that. So was, was that, I guess I'll start with that. Was that you? Do you remember, you remember being there and do you have a brother that also threw? Yeah, I have a brother, um, actually Mel Jr. He played a little bit in major league baseball, okay. got okay. injured early on and, and didn't get to have a very lengthy career, but, and now he's actually a, a pitching coach for the Miami Marlins and just doing an incredible job with their young talent. So pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, my dad and, and my brother and you know i might have made a visit to the camp or what have you but that, that's great times man it's funny is every once in a blue moon i'll run across someone and they'll say hey i went to your camp and i'm like wow that's so cool you know so um very neat and you know you nailed it right on the head with my dad too because <clears throat> you know people mention my father rest in peace pops but um you know he was he was so much more than a father to us he was really our for my brothers and I, he was like best friend. He was coach. He was mentor. He was our hero. And, and publicly, you know, a very thought of and, and, you know, around his death of all of his teammates, everyone talking about all the greatness that he presented. And I always tell people, I go, look, you know, publicly, he looks like a great person. I said, he's 10 times that man privately. And, and he was, uh, I mean, he was just, he was the greatest human being I've ever met. And, and we miss him dearly, but uh, he, he, he provided and created one heck of a legacy and, and uh, we keep him close to our heart. <clears throat> wow. Thanks for sharing that. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's incredible to hear your, your, your take on how amazing your dad is behind the scenes. We all know how he was in front of the, the, um, audience, but yeah. So thanks for sharing that. And just to give you a little bit of background here, Todd, um, our podcast is really about metal. 
right? And it's about people doing hard things, the champions, the amazing people, incredible people that have gone basically through hell and back and have incredible things to talk about and share with people about what they've learned. And so when it comes to life challenges, uh, we, we kind of thought that you might be a really great person to share, uh, especially what's coming up in your book. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but start off, tell us, tell us the story about your brother and, and how that all began. You know, it, it, uh, you know, oddly enough, it led to my book and which is why I wrote the book. And, and it was because of, <clears throat> you know, I had to overcome a mess and, and that mess became a message, but you know, if I take you back to um, 1981 and, and uh, you know, I was 15, he was 11. He was on his third bout of leukemia, um, first contracted the disease. He was seven years old and, and obviously it was devastating to the family. But, you know, we had great hopes and, and he, had, he, had fought the, he had fought leukemia, then went into remission, then it came back and then he fought it again and went into remission. And then it came back a third time. And the third time it came back, the doctors came to the family. They said, look, you know, um, they, they felt like his only chance for long-term survival was a bone marrow transplant. So they tested the family. Um, in the test of the family, I came back the perfect match. I was the closest to him. I was 15. He was 11. And, and um, so I gave him the bone marrow transplant. And, and um he got, he did, it seemed like it really went well. And because um, after about a week or two, he was literally, the doctors were, were, were creating a plan for him to be, um, to get a chance to leave the hospital and, and go on with life. But two days before he was going to be released, he went into a coma, never came out of it and then passed. And, and, you know, you can imagine it was tragic to the family and, and, you know, it was 2.20 a.m. in the morning when he had passed, 2.21, and when he had taken his last breath. And, and you know, and just like so many families and so many listeners out there that you all have is like someone's gone through a very difficult time or maybe cancers attacked their family. But, you know, at this time, you know, for my mother and father to have to bury your 11-year-old son, it just didn't seem right. And, and I know that's the case for a lot of families, unfortunately. But for me... <clears throat> You know, it was more than just the sadness. You know, uh, immediately um, I grew into a, an extremely hateful person. I had so much hate. I was just, I was so mad and I was so upset at the world and started blaming God. I was like, how do you take 11 year old, my 11 year old brother from me? And then not only did I have the hate, I had the guilt. And I was like, it was my marrow that eventually put him into a coma and, and his body didn't started to kind of, um, deny the marrow and and uh, responded negatively and and went into the coma then eventually took his life so I started to feel you know partly responsible like it was my marrow that put him into a coma so it was it was a brutal event and and something I carried with me and and I actually carried it with me for uh, more than a decade and and 12 years to be exact and and every time that I would get into a confrontation or, or I would get into being compet a competitive person, whether I was on the mound in Major League Baseball or whether I was off the mound and, and just in everyday life, I get to something that emotionally you'd start to stir, what would happen is the hate and the guilt would come to the surface mm. and it would ruin the mastery of the moment. So basically I, I had built a prison for myself. I, I constructed it and it was the prison of unforgiveness. And I would refuse 
to forgive myself for what had happened to my little brother. And, and that's when, you know, it's pretty crazy because when you look back on it, it's like, you know, gro gro after growing up in Yankee Stadium and it's like, you know, being around my father's environment and, 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 and being inspired to want to follow in his footsteps and then for it to happen and then to play for the Toronto Blue Jays and win back-to-back -back world championships, um, you know, be making millions of dollars, living out a childhood dream. If you looked at me from the outside, you're like, man, this guy's got it all. Uh, the problem is at that time, you know, 12 years after his death, I'm still carrying the burden. And when I looked into the mirror, I couldn't stand the person looking back at me because the person looking back, back at me had something to do with my little brother's death. And I wasn't going to, and I wasn't going to forgive that person. And that person was me staring back in the mirror. And, and I, I, I got to a place where I emotionally, mentally and emotionally, I kept ending up in the same spot every time I went up against a challenge that didn't work out for me. Right. And, and I would end up emotionally and mentally in that spot. And I just got to a point where I was like, man, I'm sick of it. And I felt like I was a better, a better pitcher and I had more potential on the field, but more importantly, I felt like I was a better human being off the field than I was portraying. And I was, you know, for me, I got as tired of it. I reached out to um, a guy by the name of Harvey Dorfman. He was the guru and mindset coach and psychology coach for major league baseball. And he worked with a lot of people and changed their lives and changed their careers. And, and after the 93 World Series, I got home from the winter and I was like, I've had enough. And I called Harvey and I said, Harvey, I said, this is Todd Stottlemyre. And he says, man, I've been waiting on your call. <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't even know who I didn't know he knew who I was. And and I was like, really? And he says, yeah, he says, I said, man, I said, Harvey, I said, can we meet? And he said, absolutely. We booked a meeting. Um, I drove across the state. I lived in Florida at the time. And and it was supposed to be a couple hour meeting turned into 12 hours. In the first hour, he asked me a, he asked me a question. He goes, Todd, I got to go. I got a question for you. He goes, would you do it again? I was like, do what? He goes, would you give that bone marrow transplant to your little brother again? And man, I was like, <clears throat> I just broke down. I got so emotional and I still get emotional. And I said, man, Harvey, I said, I give it to him every minute, every hour of every day. And he says, didn't you already do that? I said, yeah. He said, did you do everything you could do? I said, Harvey, I did everything I could do. He said, Har Harvey said to me, he said, Todd, you're not God. You didn't kill your little brother. He said, you already did everything you can do. He says, I'm telling you right now, it's time to forgive and let it go. And I just broke down. I mean, I, I bawled like a baby and then I was hugging him. And it was the first time in 12 years, somebody gave me permission to let it go and to forgive myself. And it was like, you would think it was like, you would think as a human being, we got enough intellect and logic to understand. But at 15, I carried it and I never, I never let go of it. And because I didn't, it just constantly kept showing up. So when he said to let it go, it was like freedom. It was like this huge weight. 12 hours later, he put me on a seven-day challenge. That seven-day challenge was this. Every obstacle, challenge, or hurdle in the next seven days, you are not allowed to respond or to react. You are only allowed to document. He goes, here's what he said. I want you to observe how you're thinking and how you feel, and you can't respond. You can only document. And then in seven days, we're going to go through it. And what we're going to do is we're going to build a tool chest 
that's going to help you overcome those thoughts and emotions. So we're going to help you stay in peak performance. And I was just blown away. So for the next seven days, that's what I did. And, and that's really the making of my book, The Observer, is I became the observer of the way I was thinking. I became the observer of how I was feeling. And the observer truly is standing outside of yourself. Think about it, something for a second. You have stimulus and then you have a reaction. And a lot of times that reaction to the stimulus is telling you who you really are. And here's what I would tell you, from 1981 to 1993, my reaction to the stimulus, my response was who I was. Who was I? On the inside, I was dark. I was beaten up. I was living in a place where I was like, I'm the guy that killed my little brother. I was guilty. I was hateful. And then I look at 2020, and we've had political wars, spiritual wars, race wars, COVID wars. Look at the response of our country in the world. And it's like, if you don't, me and you, if we don't, if we, if, if we could be best friends, but if all of a sudden we don't have and see politically, we don't see the same way, it turns into hateful conversations where you could literally kill a relationship. That was me. That's the, that's the place that I was living. That's the prison that I was in. And because of Harvey, because of people like my father, because of world champions I played with, I, I acquired models and principles of, of performance and of pursuing the best version of yourself that I intertwined into this book, Observer, a fiction story with nonfiction principles I weaved into the characters so that it could possibly maybe relate to someone with the hope that more than 50 different models in there, that if somebody reads the book, maybe one of them will become life-changing for them. All 50 became life-changing. So my life has changed more than 50 different times based on all of these things in this book. So um, I took tragedy to triumph, right? It's like, you know, I could have gone, continue to go down that road and I don't know where I would be today. I don't know how I would think today, um, but you know, I was in a, I was in a scary place. I was a walking time bomb and, and it was during my professional career. Boy, that, that's, that's, that's heart wrenching to hear. And I have to, I have to pause and think, you know, I met your dad briefly once and I brought that up and I, and I told you what my thoughts were on him. I didn't know you back, uh, you know, in, in the early nineties, uh, when you were, when you were having that dark time, but I've, I'll be honest, I've read a few of the headlines and, and, and there was anger there. I think you've already brought that up, but, but I, but I, it's, it's ironic to me that I see more of your father now than probably back, you know, in the, in the late eighties and early nineties. Um, let me ask you this, Todd, kind of on that theme, do you think that if you would have figured this out sooner. Uh, would, do you think your baseball career would have turned out differently if you would have been not carrying around that guilt and, and that resentment? You know, um, I will say that if you look at my baseball career from 1988 to 1993, um, from a personal standpoint, um, not a team standpoint, but a personal standpoint, and then you look at my career from Harvey Dorfman, 1994, to the end, mm -hmm two completely different pitchers. Mm. Not only statistically was I a different pitcher, emotionally 
I was a much different pitcher. You know, I was the guy from 88 to 93. If something had gone on in the game, I was the guy in the bottom of the pile or caused the pile up, right? And, and uh, you know, from 94 on, it was, it, was a, it was a guy more in control of, of his emotions. And, um, you know, it's funny, as Harvey told me that day, they said, he said, Todd, they can take your body, but they can't take your mind unless you give it to them. He says, you know, someone can hurt you physically, but they cannot hurt you mentally unless you allow them inside your mind and you hand your mind over to them. Well, think about confrontation. It's really, it's like when two people are having a confrontation and it starts to get emotionally heated, all they're doing is giving each other their minds of the other person exactly who they are, how they think and this and that. And you can see how broken. I had to be fixed from the inside out. And I believe that all success swings inside outwardly. You know, look, I, yes, I live, was living out my childhood dream. Yeah, I played on great teams. But personally, I needed to fix my inside in order for my outside, my career to flourish. And it never personally didn't flourish until really after 94. And Todd... Did you know back in these 12 years when you were playing and you were, you were going through, you know, all these emotions and anger and guilt that was fueled by guilt, did you know, did you wake up in the morning and say, wow, I have a real anger problem? Or did you just think it was business as usual and it was just affecting you and you didn't know how? And the second part, if I add on to that is, is it really, are you able to change it overnight with one conversation with someone? So let me answer the Second question first is no, it's a process. It's not overnight. Um, you know, I, I think back, you know, we're in 2020, right? So everything that I'm talking about, I work on consistently daily. A lot of the principles and models that came with it, the 180 degree mindset, taking a negative thought, turning it upside down on its head, making it a positive thought, then begin to focus on the positive instead of the negative. And, and so these are things, it's a process and, and it's a, it's a long-term game, you know? Um, but here's what happens. Do, do I still have things that bother me today? Of course. Do I still get frustrated? Absolutely. Do I still get disappointed? Yes. Are there days of sadness and disappoint? Yes. Have, have I gotten angry since then? Of course. Here's the biggest difference. It just doesn't last as long. Where maybe it lasted before a day or a week. Today, it's minutes. And the reason, or maybe an hour, the reason is, is that over time, you know, I've, I've put these things in that helps me get back into the great state, a great state of mind and a great emotional state. And because there's tools and there's tools that can help each and every one of us. The tools, and I always tell people, I go, the shoe might not fit you exactly the same way it fits me. I might have to take a walk. You might have to take a run, right? I, I, I might be able to like immediately change a negative to a positive. I might be able to hear the negative quicker or faster. I might be in a negative state, but an hour later can change the whole psychology, emotionally, mentally. And then physically, you'll look different when you have a different emotional state. So the answer to your second question is, I'm working, I'm unfinished. I'm going to continue to work on it. And the beauty of that is, is every day is an opportunity to get better, better at that, 
right? And and as you improve and as you grow, you can you can, can you know be a better witness to it, right? It's like, look, I'm the witness of a mess, of a disaster. Uh, the first question you asked is, did I know? I don't think so. I don't. I, I I couldn't like pinpoint it. I wasn't like, but I was an angry, hateful mess. Look, I was great like everyone. When things are going good, Todd is good. It's when things weren't going good, when I had challenges, when I was trying to overcome something. And instead of trying to figure it out and try to come up with a new strategy, it was an eruption. And, you know, people always used to say, Todd, you you know, you wore your heart on your sleeve. I say, I wore my guts, my heart. I wore everything on the inside on my sleeve. And I was an explosive person. Man, I have to give you a lot of credit, Todd, for, you know, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but in some sense, you rescued yourself, right? I mm. mean, there are so many people that go through their whole life not getting this or or maybe getting it and not having the courage to to make that change. So I give you a lot of credit for that. What would you say to... Maybe we have a listener out there that is saying, you know what, man, I can relate to what Todd's saying. And I, and I feel that inside. I feel that, that dragon or that demon inside. And, and how do I, how do I deal with that? Any, I, I'm sure it's not a simple answer, but anything you would offer in advice? Unforgiveness is an animal. It's a destroyer, man. It's a demon. And, and uh, you know, I just refuse to forgive myself for it. And, and I carried you know, I, I carried that blame almost like it was a battle scar, right? And I carried it. And and I just felt like it was a part of me. It was odd that, you know, my mother and father, prior to my bro little brother's death, said I was a very laid back middle son that just go with the flow and whatever. And I went from that to this intense animal that wanted to compete against everyone and against everything. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's brutal and, it, and it's, and it's weight and it's baggage. Um, you know, I, I want to say this is Harvey told me, he said, cause he didn't know what I was going to say. He asked me a question, not knowing the answer. Think about it. Right. What if I would have said no? Well, here's what he said. He goes, what if I would have said, when he asked me the question, would you do it again? If I would have said no, what would have he have said? Well, he made sure he let me know what he was going to say. He said, Todd, if you would have said no, then I would have told you change right now to honor the defeat and let it go. But change become a become more because of it. See, I would tell all the people out there that if you haven't forgiven someone and you're carrying that baggage, they don't know, but it's destroying you. But maybe the person you need to forgive was, and maybe you're like me, maybe you just need to look in the mirror. And if you're having a problem and you're not in love and you don't love that person, and it's, I know it sounds weird, but if you don't admire and love the person looking back at you, there's something we got to free. There's might be something we have to forgive or overcome. See, most people are carrying yesterday's circumstances and yesterday's defeats as baggage into today. No, the, it's to learn from them. See, we can't control what happened yesterday. So we got to stop trying to control what happened yesterday. And we need to learn. We need to let it go. But we need to be able to move on without the baggage. I carried that baggage. Like I say, it became my battle cry. 
God, I'm just watching you and you're just so passionate about what you're saying. I hope you're doing public speaking on this topic yeah. as well. <laughs> well you we know, need it right like, now. It's so funny because I had to get vulnerable to do this book the right way. Great point. And, and which means I had to tell, I have to be honest and authentic with the war I went through and hold nothing back from it. And the passion you see is, is me with a lot of help from a lot of people overcoming that mess. And, and, and when I see it, I see it all the time. And, 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 and I think that that's the beauty in the service of the book is that it has a chance to be relatable to someone that's listening right now. It has a chance to be relatable where somebody reads and it's like, wow, like that's me. Like that's where I'm at. But here's the beauty. This is like, it matter. It doesn't matter where you are. And it's like, because if you can relate to it and you can use it, there's a way out. There is a way out. And that, and, and, and look, if you'd have told me prior to 1993, if you'd have told me in, in 1988, 1989, if you would have came to me and you said, Todd, you have anger issues. I would have fought you on it. By the way, I would have got so angry at you. <laughs> Talking about my anger issues, right? We would have ended up in a fight. And and I was like, no, I'm not angry. You know, I mean, can you imagine, right? And you'd be like, hello. Um, <laughs> but it was like constantly in and up. It was, it was like whether I said something or whether I did something, I found myself having a sleepless night going, <sighs> my father used to say, man, you did it again. You threw up again. And I said, yeah, dad. And he says, are you sleeping in it? I said, and, and what he meant by that is, are you taking responsibility for your actions? I said, yeah, I am dad, but I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting tired of sleeping in this mess and I'm getting tired of having sleepless nights. And, uh, you know, I was at, I was at war with myself and, um, you know, and my hope and my prayer for the book is someone reads it and is like, man, thank God you wrote this book because that one thing I related to and it changed the way I thought and, um, you know, or changed the way I felt or, or you gave me a way to go from being sad to, to understand and fulfillment. And you gave me, a, you found a way or you, you proved to me or you related to me in a way that wealth is so much more than money and that you can be, you know, with no disrespect to anybody, whether it's, you know, you could, you know, look, you could be the greatest landscaper, janitor, whatever it is in the world. To me, man, live your championship seed. You were born to live, you know, and pursue your gifts and pursue your potential and ask great questions that will lead to the answers of for something for you to work on the next day to continue to pursue to get better. Because the second you stop trying to get better is the second you actually die on your feet. Mm. And I'm like, look, it's not about money for me. To me, my, the wealth and the foundation of wealth for me um, starts with God above and then goes to my family. Look, if my family's not wealthy, if those relationships aren't good and, those, and, and I don't have a wealthy family of relationships, then money will never be the answer. Never. And it's like, you know, I was making the money. Think about it, 1993, I'm making millions. I was miserable. 
I was at war with myself. I hated myself. Money couldn't change that. I had to change. I had to be the person to change. You know, they always say money makes you more of who you are. Well, it did. <laughs> you know, if I got into a business with my money, I, I'll, I'll fight everybody in that business and, and try to drive them out, you know, so wrecking ball. I just want to take a minute. We've mentioned the book a couple of times in the podcast. So check out our show notes. The book is called The Observer, A Modern Fable on Mastering Your Thoughts and Emotions. Todd, I'm curious, you know, if some people are like, ah, you know, I don't have an anger problem. I, I haven't had any recent deaths in the family. I'm not blaming myself for anything. But okay, we have a national pandemic that for the better half of this year has completely changed everyone's lives and uprooted their their normalcy their social circles, the way they like to go to work each day. Uh, what do you think? Should we get the book? Is that going to, we going to be able to draw some parallels there on how to deal with anger we might not know is there? Yeah. So, it, you know, it's so much deeper than anger. You know, it, it's all about getting into the right states and then peak states. And, and, you know, look, I'll, I'll say this. It's like, um, you know, what happened to the golden rule? You know, treat others how you want to be treated. Is that the country we live in today? How about love the neighbor? <laughs> Is that the country we live in today? I mean, if you think about it, it's like, man, you don't have to go very far to see differences of opinion. How about this one? How about we all have a different opinion? How about when that's okay again? Hmm. How about, let me try to understand where you're coming from. Hey, how about if you try to understand where I'm coming from? And by the way, we can still walk across the bridge together not maybe having the same beliefs. Listen, I, I have people, friends of mine that have different political beliefs. I travel with them. We go to dinner together. We do not fight. I try to get, I try to get a deeper level of understanding of their point of view. Look, that's how I learned. Could you imagine for one second if we all thought alike and acted alike, how boring would we be when did that not be okay in this country? When is, I mean, look, now if you don't think like I think, you don't believe what I believe, you don't talk the way I talk, you don't act the way I act, then we can't be friends. I've seen it in families. If that's your belief, you're not welcome back in this home. Are you kidding me? So the book is so much deeper than anger. It's about understanding. It's about peak performance. I mean, the, the main character is, is massively successful, but miserable, right? Kind of like me. <laughs> and, and she's a lady entrepreneur with a son that wants to play baseball, that had a father that played Major League Baseball, kind of like me. And then she comes into a place where she has economic ruin when markets explode, mm, kind of like me. And then she had to rebuild but she didn't think about rebuilding her fortune. She thought about rebuilding her life from the inside out and because of it became wealthier than any time during her life. Kind of like me. So a lot of the story is based on truth without going too deep into the book. But to me, the book is for everyone. It's another level of understanding. And it's kind of like, you know, Look, I, I always say, if you stop pursuing to, to become the best, the best version of yourself, or, 
or you stop trying to experience life and 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 this life that we have so many people say we have one life to live so we're going to just blow it out on all things that make no sense that make us feel like hell right how about blow your life out on experiences relationships understanding how about service who can i help today i mean can you imagine just for one day if there was a world challenge imagine this challenge you had to do something good for your neighbors and everybody in the world had to do it the same day. And on the same day, the whole world came to a peaceful resolution. Why isn't that possible? I know the three of us would, if it was the challenge, we'd be like, and we said, okay, we're in, we'll take the challenge. Couldn't you do something nice for your neighbor? Absolutely. How easy is it? So easy. How much talent does it take? No talent. My, my book, The Observer, Principles and Models of Understanding of Peak Performance of Mastering Your Thoughts and Emotions, everything that's in the book takes no talent. It takes I want to. Just like when I was in 1993, I wanted to get better. I wanted to become a better person. And I was willing to do whatever it took to get there. What a powerful, you know, it's such a powerful message. And, and when you hear it, you think it's so simple. But 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 obviously in execution, it, it apparently isn't, although it should be simple. Maybe maybe yeah. we'll leave we'll leave it at that. Todd, you know, I keep I keep zeroing in on something you keep mentioning. And maybe this will be helpful not only for for Tara and I, but but also for listeners. You mentioned the world wealth several times. What does that mean to you? What does wealth mean to you? Yeah, 100% starts with, you know, um, look, we're faithful people, number one. And, um, you know, with God, everything is possible, number one. Number two, family. You know, and and if I have, look, I've met a lot of wealthy people with broken families. That's not wealthy. That might be, they might be financially rich, but they are not wealthy. Wealthy is fulfillment. Wealthy is I put my head on the pillow at night. And I'm good with myself. I'm great with my family. And it's like, I'm not going with burdens. I'm not going where I didn't fix something that needed to be fixed. That's wealthy. Wealthy is lifestyle. Wealthy doesn't mean flying first class or on a private jet or staying in the nicest hotels. Wealthy is experience. And I call it God's playground, the world with the people you love. That's wealth. I, I used to make a joke. I said, man, I, if I go to want to go to the movies and I take my little debit card and I put it in the thing and I get a $20 bill that comes out of the machine and I can go to the movies, I go, wow, that's wealthy. I put in a piece of plastic. I got back 20 bucks and I can go watch a movie. <laughs> I mean, it's like we're, we got so many, we got so much fascination around money instead of true wealth. And my foundation for me it's built around God. It's built around my family. It's built around friends. It's built around relationships. It's built around experiences of what we have going on. And then it's also built around service and giving back. That's wealthy. And you don't have to look. You might say to you, you might say, Todd, I don't have anything to give. Oh, how about a hand? <laughs> how about go do something for a neighbor? How about whatever, whatever, it doesn't take money to serve people. So 
you know, wealth is built around all those things. And then of course, wealth for me is built around love and not hate. Again, what a great message. And, and notice, you know, money is, is really not in that equation. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that's powerful and it's something I resonate with. So funny is like, you want to make more money, pursue being the best version of yourself and be and the best at what you do. Money will find you. Mm. Totally. Agree. But it doesn't matter what it yep. is. If you're the best in the world at it, you're going to be overpaid for it. I so would say bring value to the world that instead yeah. of the money. And we pursue it playing the long-term game and trying to find a way to get rich overnight <laughs> because money means so much. It's like, man, we got to play the long-term game. It's funny today is like, you know, I feel so grateful and so blessed. And some of our companies that are just doing extraordinary. And I think to myself, it's like, wow, that's, that's great. But it's not, it's not like I have all this anxiety now. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to stack it up? I'm, gonna, I'm like, ah, I've been there. I've already done that. I don't want that stress. And, uh, and I'm just, you know, I find myself in a place of being grateful every day and intentionally grateful. So it's powerful. Do you think that's part of an age thing, Todd? Do you think like you hit a certain age and you're like, all right, I'm tired of the anxiety and the stress, and I really just want to enjoy my family and enjoy life. Like you said, lay your head on the pillow at night, feel really good about waking up in the morning. Um, or do you think it's going through something hard at any age and really just wanting to be your best self coming out of it? Probably all of the above. I mean, I think that in your 20s and 30s, you're chasing glory, right? It's like you're doing everything you can and and then you get to the, you know, your 40s and 50s, I, I, especially I'm in my 50s now, mid 50s. And, and it's more about, you know, my family and my kids. And, and, you know, and I had a great, I had a front row seat to my dad's last breath. He had no regrets. And based on him having no, I mean, he literally, he re literally took his last breath with not one regret. It's not like, it's not like something was left undone. It was the most amazing moment. And, and it was at a time for me uh, when I was studying being intentionally grateful. And I kept hearing this word, grateful, 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 grateful. And I think you can be grateful at any age. Matter of fact, we play a game at my dinner table when my entire family is together and we call it the grateful game. And it goes clockwise. And it starts with my five-year-old and my five-year-old always says, dad, can we play the grateful game? And I say, yeah, I said, you go, you lead first. And she'll say what she's grateful for. And then it'll go around. And I got five kids and me, me and my wife. So there's seven of us. And it'll literally go around the table. And everyone's going, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for this and this and this. And then we'll go around again. And then again. And we'll go until people are worn out or until someone says, time out, let's eat. But it's the coolest thing. And can you imagine, you know, I have a five-year-old, I have a 15-year-old, I have a 17-year-old, I have a 19-year-old, and I have a 25-year-old. And by the way, they're all grateful for different things. You know, the five-year-old's grateful for whatever she has, right? And it's like, right. you know, and then you get to the, you know, you get to the 17, 19, and 25, and you start to hear them start to sound more like, hey, I'm grateful for dinner, and I'm grateful for these little things. To me, and here we are at the holiday season, it's like, there's no greater gift than being intentionally grateful. And everyone can unwrap that 
and they can also share that gratefulness with a neighbor or with a friend. Everyone can share that piece. And I've had people say, Todd, it's easy for you to be grateful. I said, explain it to me because actually I had a hard time in being intentionally grateful. And they say, yeah, but you got this and you this and that. And I said, I haven't always had that. And then I'll say to them, I say, you know, take a breath for just a second. I take a deep breath. I go, when was the last time you were grateful for that? Because as long as you're taking a breath, you got an opportunity to pursue the impossible. Pretty cool. Yes, it is. I want to go back, uh, Todd, to, to your father for, for a minute. I got to be honest, as you told the story earlier, the hair on my arms kind of stood up. I know that you have described him as, as a hero. And as you said, it wasn't that long ago that, that we lost him. Um, and what a wonderful story. I always say if, if we can go, if, if, if when we take our last breath, we can be at peace and maybe even smile and say, man, I, I did it right. I think that's what we should all be shooting for. But let me ask you this, Todd. What, and I know you looked up here, Dad. Um, what, what do you think was the most valuable things that he taught you? Well, he was so humble, first of all, and he had a way that when he was in your presence, that he had a way to always make you feel better no matter what. You didn't have to be feeling bad, but when he walked into the room um, and when he left, you were feeling better about yourself prior to him entering that room. And he had the most incredible way of doing that. And, um, you know, so that, that would be something and, you know, and it's something I battled with. Right. And it's like, especially as I went through a lot of my issues and it's like, you know, when I left the room, many cases, people were like, huh, thank God the hothead is gone. Right. And it's like, and I've just strived. I was like, man, I, you know, I want to be more like that. Like they loved when he came and they always felt better when he was there. And because in his presence and the way he would make people feel, he always made them feel better than prior to when he was there. And to me, that is like, that is awesome, you know? And I didn't, that, that didn't resonate with me my whole life, by the way. It's not like I grew up and I'm like, hey, dad's around. I feel better now. That really wasn't until the end. And that I recognized it even for myself. It's like that self-awareness and it's about being aware. And it's like, man, I, I, I got to tell you something. I can't think back to times when I was hanging out my, with my father that it wasn't a good feeling. You know, it was just awesome. And that, that doesn't mean that everything went right. <laughs> it didn't mean we didn't have some trouble with something. It just means that it was just always okay. And it was always good. And, and, and opposite of him not being there. And then the other thing is, is, you know, he had a way of focusing on the right things. He, matter of fact, he would like, you know, uh, there was a time we were young kids and I tell the story a lot. And, and it was my, my brother, Mel Jr. And myself and my father, and we were in this little trailer and we were up in the mountains and we were big avid outdoorsmen and, and we're in the middle of the Cascade mountains and there's a massive storm and snow and wind and everything and trees are falling and my dad is in the camper sleeping and he's snoring and and then and then there's me and my brother we were teenagers and and my brother's like man do you hear that tree fall I'm like yeah man I hope one doesn't fall on us and this and that and we can't sleep and we finally wake my father up and we're like dad 
I was like, how can you sleep? And he goes, look, guys, whether you're awake or sleep, if a tree falls, same result. I can't control it. <laughs> so I'm not going to worry about something I can't control. Here's what I can control. I can control how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. I'm going to go ahead and get my sleep so that when I wake up and you guys are exhausted, I'm going to be ready to go out into the outdoors. <laughs> Love it. Did that with everything. Everything. He always found the good. And he never focused on things he couldn't control. By the way, that's also in the book, not that story, but the sense of, are we focusing on things we can or can't control? Because the things that we're focusing on that we can't control are going to drive us crazy, right? And it's going to steal what? What's it going to steal? It's going to steal our joy. So, you know, kind of falls back into that whole wealth trap, right, of joy. So oh, what a great message now, especially when we we have to make the effort to seek out the joy from time to time. Um, like the last thing we need is it just being ripped away from us because of what you're saying, which is focusing on things we can't do anything about. I love yeah. that. Um, Todd, I, I'm, <laughs> it's the, the sun is going down. It's getting kind of dark. It's cold and snowy here in Colorado. And I'm like, whoa, my day has just started because you've totally amped me up. I want to go get the book. I want to do a seven day challenge like very inspirational uh, to chat with you. How, if people are feeling the same way, do they get in touch with you and follow you and and learn more from what you've been through? Well, first of all, I just want to say I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to talk about my book and talk a little bit about my life and talk about my father, my brother, my family. But, uh, you know, I would love for people to just really simple, just come and hang out with me at the website, toddofficial.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, all the little social media logos are there on my website. You can just click them and, 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 and you can follow. I try to put out some, you know, about every week or so, put out an inspirational video on there that's usually of some place where I'm at in my life trying to overcome. And, and, and then I try to share that with people. But uh, toddofficial.com, um, you know, obviously you can order the book anywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or you can just come to my website and we have links that, uh, you can go to your favorite bookstore right from my website. So, uh, it'd be, I, I'd be honored and humbled. I nothing better than to get a message from someone that's following you to say, thanks for the message today. I needed that. It reminds me to keep doing it. So I'm so appreciative of it. Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna put you on the spot here with one more of those messages. So the floor is yours. We ask every guest, what advice do you have for people uh, when it comes to mental toughness, resilience, and grit that they can actually use tomorrow when they wake up in the morning? Well, I just want to. The first thing is I'll say is that every problem is 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 for your advantage, not disadvantage. Every setback is meant for you to improve on to get better. Um, I would tell you that. Um, the people shying away from failures. Uh, look, those failures are so important to all of your success. And, you know, I, I love that. And, and I've been thinking so much about this. And because I always say everything is possible, the impossible just hasn't been done yet. And then I go back to statistically, they say, and I don't know how true this is, but statistically, they say that we're one in 400 million chances to be born. What does that really mean? When I look at that, I'm like, man, we've already done almost the impossible. Why are we stopping at birth? And I would tell you that it's, 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 it's not so much about 
a certain DNA or certain genetics. Look, every single one of us has a seed in of us that's a champion. And it's like, you just got to discover what that is and then pursue the champion that absolutely lives inside of you because God does not, he does not produce any junk. You are here for a reason. Go find it, go pursue it, go all out and keep going and, and then become the best damn neighbor you can become. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media. 